As you could see from our reading this morning, we are going to talk about Noah. We've been talking about relationships pretty much all week long, and we're going to continue that theme as we look at Noah and his family. When we talk about Noah a lot of times, that's all we focus on. We focus on Noah and what he did, but you know he was not alone in what he was doing. He had a family that was with him. We read in the passage uh, that, was, that was in our reading about how he had a wife. He had sons. He had daughters-in-law. Daughter, daughters-in-law. Yeah, that's right. I had to think about that one. Uh, wanted to get it right. Not daughters-in-laws or daughter-in-laws. Daughters-in-law. He had a family that was participatory with him. And so what we want to do is investigate them, not as it relates to the family, my, like my family, my intimate family, just uh, me and my wife and my kids and now my daughter-in-law. Uh, and soon to be another one. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the family of God, and we'll see that in just a moment. We read in Genesis 6, but let's read it again in verse 17. It says, Behold, I myself am bringing flood waters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your son's wives with you. And so what we have here is we have a covenant that is made with the family of God. Now he is, this family is the family of God because they are the ones that are called out from the world. They are separate from everybody else. He says, I'm going to bring a flood water to all of, the, all of the world except who? It's hard to read, but the family is in the middle of that. And that family is Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives. And they were to make a covenant with one another. God says, I will save you. And he gives them a way in which they could be saved. You know, it's interesting to me that, number one, God did not immediately just destroy the earth, even though he saw all that wickedness. Nor did he pluck them out of the turmoil and then destroy the earth. He said, you've got a part in this. And you're going to work together and you're going to make this happen. For your salvation, but a covenant was made, and that covenant was if you do what I say and you do it to these specifications, then you'll walk on dry ground again and you'll be saved. Not only be saved from the water, but saved from wickedness because that was going to be destroyed, and that was what God was destroying. That was the whole point and the whole purpose. Today, in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10, this is a prophecy that was given that has been fulfilled for us today. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Today, he has made a new covenant with the family of God. Now, he talks about it being the house of Israel. What does that mean? House in Scripture a lot of times means family or household. That's, it's not talking about a physical structure. But in this case, he's talking about the house of Jacob and how that house of Jacob would be established with a new covenant, one that we are now a part of because we're all a part of the family of God through this covenant in which we are given salvation. And so today we're talking about, almost did it without clarifying, they don't have a last name. Noah doesn't. Uh, So I call them the Noahs. I hope you'll allow me that. 
we're going to call them the Noahs so that we know that I'm talking about the whole family. So when we talk about the Noahs, we're talking about something that we can see from their example how we ought to operate with one another, how we ought to behave in the church, in the pillar and ground of the truth. How are we to behave with one another? First of all, we see in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 7. It says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Notice that Noah's motivation was by faith. Also notice that he prepared an ark to the saving of his household. Was he alone in that? He was not. We know that. His wife, his sons, and their wives. The whole family got involved. This was the family business. Now let me ask you a question. Have you ever known anywhere in Scripture, anywhere, that someone was saved by someone else's faith? I don't know of anywhere. You can't be saved by your parents' faith. The sons were not saved because Noah had faith. They were saved because they had faith. Because they trusted God. Because when Noah told them what was going to happen, they said, well, we better get busy. <laughs> they had a conviction they had confidence in what Noah had told them based on what God had told him. They knew the flood was coming, and they knew the only way out. They had that kind of conviction, and so it motivated them to prepare the ark. They had a common or a shared faith. Jude has one chapter, but Jude 1 and verse 3 says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. We're no different than the Noahs. We have a common salvation, and it is based on the faith. It's based on the same conviction, the same confidence in God, that it's he who is bringing salvation. Romans 1 and verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in, the, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. We share the same faith, so live by that faith. We have that in common. And that makes us different from the world. They don't have the faith you and I have. They don't trust God like you and I do. That should draw us together because we have that kind of faith. Because we're all fighting for the same thing. And we don't put our confidence in ourselves or in what we do. I don't put my confidence in Ian's salvation in what Ian has done. I put my confidence in his salvation in what Christ has done, just like I put that confidence in my salvation in what Christ has done, not what I've done. So we all have that in common as the family of God. We are a part of the same covenant, and we share this faith. So Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27, For as many of you as have been baptized in, or excuse me, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are one. 
We had been placed into the family by the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. We all have been born again into this new family. And we don't have to teach one another about this covenant. We knew it when we entered it. That's what Hebrews 8 was talking about. We don't have to go around talking to each other about being a part of the, you know, talking about the covenant because we're a part of it. So we are family, and we're family by faith and our confidence in Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think Noah's sons, wives, ever thought, man, Ham is getting on my nerves? <laughs> you think she ever thought that? I don't know what her name was, but do you think Shem's wife ever thought, man, Ham is getting on my nerves? But they, they, they stuck it out. They, they knew that they had that in common, that despite all their differences, whatever that might be, they knew that they had one thing in common, that God was going to send a flood and we had to build an ark to be saved. That's what they knew. And so that's what they held on to. And that's the same thing we need to hold on to despite all of our differences. Because we have differences. Despite all the times we get on each other's nerves, we need to remember one thing. God saved us and put us into a new covenant with Jesus Christ. We share faith. You know, that faith motivated the Noahs to go beyond just a mere recognition of what God had said. It moved them to prepare the ark. We see in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20, it says, Who formerly were disobedient when once the divine longsuffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. This is telling us that God waited. Again, he didn't just destroy the earth. He could have. He could have completely started over. He could have wiped everybody out and created another man from the dust. There was nothing stopping him from doing that. But he didn't. And he didn't remove them out of that. He waited for them to build the ark. They had to get to work. We see that what they built was a big old boat. 500 train cars is what it takes to fill that ark. <laughs> that is a massive boat. And you know what? I, I build some things from time to time. I'm not very good at it, but I do it from time to time. I have a table saw. I have a chop saw. I have a drill press. This is all new to me, by the way, so I'm kind of bragging a little bit too. <laughs> Man, that makes it really easy to put some things together. I don't know what pitch was, but I really like the glue that comes out of the bottle instead of pitch. It's a, it seems really difficult to me. They didn't have the same things that we had, and yet they built that big old thing. God waited. Matter of fact, he says, and the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. It took Noah and his family 120 years to build that ark. That took a lot of work. And sometimes being a part of the family means that we have to get to work. It's not always easy. Yes, the church is a wonderful blessing. The family of God is fantastic. It's, there's nothing better than being part of this family, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't have work involved in it. And sometimes work is fun. There's no doubt about that. Sometimes work is not fun. Sometimes work is work. Sometimes work is a four-letter word. We don't like it. I bet there were days that they didn't like it either. You think there were days that they walked in and said, man, my arm is sore from hammering all day yesterday. And they went back and got to work. That's what it takes. 
to be a part of this family. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, we are given a parable that Jesus gives about the parable of the talents, where he is distributing to them money, basically. And it was a weight of money, a weight of gold, or weight of silver. And to one he gives five, to the other he gives two, to the other he gives one. He tells us exactly why he gives them different amounts, because it was according to their ability. So whatever someone can handle, that's what they were given. The five-talent man could handle five talents. The two-talent man was given two talents because that's what he could handle. The one-talent man, no less of a person, no less of a servant, but he was given the one talent because that's what he could handle. What I see from this is God doesn't give us any more than we can handle. I love that. <laughs> I appreciate that. But one thing we also know is that everyone in this family has some ability. Whether you're the five-talent ability person or the one-talent or somewhere in the middle, everybody has an ability. Number two, because you have an ability, you have responsibility. Think of it this way. Our, our abilities give us a, and we are to respond to that ability. It's a responsibility. Because God has given us an ability to do something, he expects us to do that. We learn that from this because the five-talent man and two-talent man were blessed. Why? Not because they went and get, doubled, but because they went and did something. I believe if the five-talent man had only gained one talent, but that's all he could do, he could have done, he'd have been blessed for that. But they took care of their responsibilities. We also see that diligence is rewarded. Hard work is rewarded. The five-talent man, the two-talent man, they went and did what they could, therefore they received a blessing. He said, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. But laziness is punished. It, the one-talent man, it wasn't a matter of how many talents he had, and it wasn't a matter of what he did with it or how he perceived it. I knew you were a hard man. I knew you would punish me. I knew you'd come down on me. So I just kept it, and I hid it. Oh, really? <laughs> if you knew I was a hard man, you'd have done something. If you know who God is, you'll do something because you know the abilities that have been given to you, and it's time to go to work. It's time to get busy. Romans 12, verses 3 through 8 says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now, in this chapter, he is talking specifically about miraculous gifts. And so that's what he's talking about when they have these different abilities. But most of the uh, that I can think of anyway, most of the miraculous gifts also have a natural side to them. Let me give an example. In those days, if someone walked into a congregation that perhaps they're in Japan and they're from America and they never learned Japanese, they could learn Japanese or speak in Japanese in that moment because God gives them that ability miraculously. That is what it means to speak in tongues. Now, there's a natural side to that. I can get out a book. I can get a teacher, a tutor, or somebody, anymore, you can get an app, <laughs> that'll teach you how to speak Japanese if I need to go to Japan and speak to a congregation. See, there's a natural side to it. I don't know of anybody raising anybody from the dead. I don't know how to do that. There's, I don't know the natural side to that. But there is one of healing, isn't there? How many people have gone to 8, 9, 10 years of college to graduate to become a doctor to try to heal people? That's not flawless, but that's the natural side to it. But we also know, just from looking at the parable of the talents, that everybody has an ability. And so, 
This applies to us. The principle applies to us today. For as many, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. You know, there were probably times that Shem had his job. Japheth, had his jo- Japheth has his job. Ham had his job. And they needed to go do that job. Because if Ham didn't do his job, then Japheth had to do it. And it piled on him. We all need to do our job. We all need to do our part. We have work to do. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Whatever your ability is, whatever your gift is, do it. Don't let someone else take your load. You may be the best person for the job. Then do that job because you're the best person for that job. You know, an eye is really good at its job. It's good at seeing. It's not very good at hearing. However, if you go deaf, your eyes become ears. They have to pull the weight of the ears. They have to learn sign language. And that's how we communicate with someone who's deaf. That's how it works. But isn't it better when the eyes just do their job or the ears do their job, the hands do their job? If you're a pinky toe, be the best pinky toe you can be. Just go to work. That's what he's telling us to do here. And every part is just as important as the other part. I have an uncle that used to play the fiddle. He played the fiddle until he had an accident and cut off his ring finger, just the tip of his ring finger, and that was just enough where he couldn't reach. So he had to put down the fiddle, couldn't play anymore. See how that affects the whole thing, how it affects the body, when just one part isn't doing what it's supposed to? 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. It's time to go to work. Sometimes you're the one that needs to plant. Sometimes you're the one that needs to cultivate and water. God gets the glory. But what happens when somebody plants and someone else doesn't water? The plant dies. And what good is watering without a plant? Doesn't do any good. It's useless. Do your part. Whatever that part may be because it's all important. And it's important that we do that together. We see in Genesis 7, verse number 23. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. God did exactly what he said he would do. He saved the Noahs, but he also destroyed the world. They were the only ones that remained alive. I want you to notice something. They were in the ark seven days after they loaded, before it even started raining. That's just a week. 40 days of rain. 110 more days, the waters prevailed. They just stayed. 74 days after that, this is all after So 7 plus 40 plus 110 plus 74 days until the ark rested on Mount Ararat. 
There was a 40-day interval until the raven was sent, seven days until the first dove was sent, seven days until another dove was sent, and seven days until the doves were sent and didn't return. And then they waited 29 days until the ground was dry, 50 days until they departed the ark. All right, what's the grand total? They were in that ark for over a year. You think they ever had issues? <laughs> I know it's a big old boat. But some of that was animals. <laughs> some of it was a pretty full boat. And there's just so far you can get from one another. <laughs> you know they had problems. You know they had issues. One of the brothers probably said, why is it my, me that always has to clean out the elephant cage? That's nasty. <laughs> I hate doing that. Or it's his turn to clean out the elephant cage. Whatever you want to do there. I don't want to scoop up, you know, today. That's just nasty. It stinks. It's a terrible job. Of course it is. <laughs> we know that. They had problems, but they stayed on the ark. They didn't go anywhere. Why would they leave? 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 9 through 11 says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. Noah and his family had a shared faith, and that led them to endure. That allowed them to, instead of use words and talk about one another behind their back, instead of using words that would discourage and they probably did at times. They had to learn to encourage one another because they're in it together. Would you have jumped just because it was your day to clean out the elephant cage? Then why jump ship here? What we have here is better than what's out there. We don't need to jump. Stay on the boat. And to do that, let's instead, because we have a shared faith, let's not criticize one another. Let's not talk about each other behind each other's back, but comfort each other. Edify or build up one another, encourage one another. Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16 says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You want the body to grow? You want the church to grow? You want this family to be what it should be? Then do your part. But you're not alone. Notice it says that every part does its share. Everybody does their part. But that they are joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. I'm not a welder. I've never, I, don't, I may have put a bead on something one time. I don't, I don't even remember doing that. That may be as far as I've gotten. But my understanding is from welders... If you take two pipes and you put those together and you join it just right, that joint will be stronger than the two individual pipes. Here's the lesson for us. I have a job to do. You have a job to do. When we do that together, that joint is strong and it's effective and it causes growth of the body. But when I'm not doing my job and I leave you to do it, there's a weak joint and that thing will break. Yeah, sometimes it's hard work. And yes, sometimes that means I've got to clean out the elephant cage. But somebody has to. Go do it. Do the hard stuff. And we'll see growth in the body. And we will edify each other in love. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. I want you to notice 
who this is talking to and about. He is talking about the family of God, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So he is instructing us, going to help us understand our part as a part of the family. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. That we have a firm foundation through the riches of his glory. We are where we are, not because of what I've done, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. We have that in common. That's why we're his family. And notice this, that the family may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and height. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God wants you to experience the fullness of his blessings. He wants you to know that. Let me tell you something. This is a this is a passage that is very difficult for me as a preacher. Let me tell you why. I like to tell things, if you haven't noticed. I like to, to impart knowledge. And I want you to know what you can know. Paul here says that this passes knowledge. That means I can't explain it to you. And that's frustrating. Because <laughs> I want to be able to, to, to explain it to you. But here's what he's saying. It passes knowledge because you don't know it till you experience it, till you are a part of it, till you really get familiar with the family. If you want to know the fullness of the blessings of God, it's in the family of Jesus Christ and nowhere else. That's why they stayed on the ark. That regardless of what was going on internally, it was worth staying on the boat. And they knew each other. They knew each other really well. Nobody else in the world ever experienced the ark. Only they did. They didn't experience the grace, the mercy, and the salvation of God. Only they did. And the same for you. Let me illustrate it this way. Some of you, see, this, he's talking about the width, length, depth, and height. Think of a cube, something that has multiple dimensions. Some of you I've spent today with. I'm only getting a line out of that cube from you. That's all we have shared so far. And that's all we're going to get to share because I'm going to go home. Now, maybe later we can experience that. But at the moment, our relationship is not deep at all. It's very shallow. And so with you, I have not experienced the fullness of God with you. Then there's another group that we've spent the week together in the assemblies. So I'm starting to add a little bit to that cube. Now, not, not, do, I have, not do I only have the width, but with you, I have some length to it. We're a little deeper than just shallow. We developed a, a more of a relationship. And then there's others of you that I've gone to eat with on top of that, that we've spent some time there together around the table. And so now we're adding more depth to that. We're adding more of, a, of a, um, the cube, if you will. We're becoming a little more three-dimensional than two-dimensional, a little deeper than shallow. But this week, I've spent more time with Ian and Toya than any of you. I'm getting the fullness of the picture of our relationship. I received the fullness of blessings with them this week. Now, that's not anybody else's fault. I, it would have been very challenging for me to have picked up my stuff on Wednesday night after I 
or after I stayed at their house and go stay with somebody else on Thursday night and then go stay with somebody else on Friday night. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that your level of involvement impacts your level of receiving blessings. You will not get the fullness of God if you come to church once a week. You will not see the blessings of God or the fullness, the depth of that relationship with God if you don't get involved in one another's lives every day to be a family, regardless of the challenges, regardless of the differences. Those things come, but we've got to forgive one another. We've got to let those things go, and we have to realize that what we have here is better than what's out there and work in that relationship for one another and for Jesus. How do you think God feels when his children are fighting? I know how I feel when my children are fighting. I don't like it. You think Noah liked having to put those fires out just so somebody would go and do their job? I bet he didn't. Let those things go. Realize what we have together, and that is very, very powerful. But you have to get involved. I can't tell you that. You have to experience it to know it. Again, that's very frustrating, (laughs) except to tell you that go. That's what I can tell you. Go experience the fullness of the blessings of God because it's right here in this room. So if we want to be the family of God, we have a shared faith. We need to share our faith with one another. We need to share the faith with the world. That's true. But the world is going to ridicule and mock and put us down at times for sharing our faith. That won't happen here. Instead, we can encourage one another in the faith. We need to get busy. There's a lot of work to do. And no matter what, endure the storm. Stay on the boat. It's always better here. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song of encouragement. It's about having a common love, a commonality towards one another. And I hope that this song encourages you with the lesson we just heard. If there's something in your life that is keeping you from the family, because sometimes that happens. Sometimes I start feeling guilty, perhaps because I was supposed to clean out the elephant cage and I didn't and somebody had to do it for me. So something may be going on in your life that is keeping a distance between you and the family. Let it go. Know that we are here to help you. Know that we are here to pray for you. That we're here to counsel you. We'll do whatever we can to help you through that burden. Just let us know while we sing this song of encouragement and while we stand.